Listen to the scriptures. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for King Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And then Jesse had Shammah pass by and and Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, "Are, are these all the sons that you have? Well... They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We won't sit down and eat until he arrives. So he sent and he had him brought in. He was ruddy with fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. This ends the reading for this morning. I'm going to have placed on the screen a slide. And I'm going to have them take these lights down a little bit. To Vincent van Gogh. The first thing that you see is the field, isn't it? The expanse of a large field with a lonely sower in the middle of it. His hand extended, throwing seed to the left, his other hand in his pouch with the seed to throw it to the right. Let's go to the next slide, please. The sower, sowing seed. We've heard perhaps more sermons on the parable of Jesus about the sower than maybe any other parable. At least I have. I may have preached more sermons on it. And so I was astounded. You can bring the lights up a little here on stage, please. I was astounded when about four weeks ago I was on a plane to Denver to speak at a retreat center there called the Downing House. And I decided I'd take the first 
chapters of Luke, as many as I could read on the plane and digest and think about. And I thought, I'm just going to look and see if anything surprises me. And I uh, got a little piece of paper thinking maybe I'd have two or three things that would kind of jump out at me in the first eight chapters or so. I had 22. 22 things that I'd never seen before. I've been studying Luke and Matthew and Mark and John and Paul and the Old Testament for about 31 years. So it may not say much about my study skills. Or maybe it says something about how rich the Word of God is. Probably both. But I got to the parable of the sower. And you know the parable. I don't have to read it to you. You could practically quote it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this man. He went out to sow some seed in his field. And we've all heard sermons, and I've preached sermons, on the hard ground where the seed couldn't penetrate and grow. On the ground where it it was shallow and it sprung up, but then it died off quickly. Great sermon. I'm not going to preach that one this morning. And we've all heard about the seed that grew and really did well, and then the thorns came and choked it out. Fabulous sermon. Don't let the cares and the worries and the riches and the fame of this world choke out your your faith in Christ. Great sermon. I'm not going to preach it this morning. We know about those. We know about the seed that sprouted up and a bunch of birds came and gobbled it up. Great sermon. I'm not going to preach it this morning. What I'd never noticed is at the end of the parable, Jesus says something very strange. He says, you know, some some seed produces a really large crop, and some seed produces a small crop. I've never preached a sermon on that one. And he says, actually, it's the soil that produces the crop. The seed, Jesus tells us, is the Word of God. And he says, some of the soil produces a little crop. You know, there's the soil over here that got gobbled up, choked up, blah, blah, blah. But then there's this other stuff where actually you get a crop out in the field. But there's part of it that does well. There's part of it that does really well. And Jesus tells us in the parable what the difference is. He tells us what is it about a person that will produce a good crop... And what is it about a person that will only produce a small crop? He says there's one ingredient that makes for the big crop versus the small crop. I'd never seen it. I've never heard it preached on. I've never preached on it, which goes without saying since I'd never seen it. What do you think it is without looking? What do you think? What would you say? What what would most Christian people say... The good soil represents. Go ahead. Monica, what did you say there? I saw you whisper something. No. Any ideas? Action. I think that's what many people would say. And they would look to verses like, like, uh, how can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I think that's one people would say. What are some others? Obedience. He who has my words and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Obedience might be the ingredient. What are some others? Faith. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah, that's another possibility. 
What are some others? Any others? Excuse me? God's plan. We should know God's plan for our life, and then we'll be fruitful. Any others? Prayer? That's right. Stay in communion with God. Tell Him every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer, and the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds as they rest in Christ Jesus. That would be a good one. What are some others? Love. The royal way, right? If you have... uh, If you have all the faith that can move mountains and all the knowledge in the world, but you don't have love, you amount to precisely nothing. That that would be a good one. Those are all the ones I would have thought of. They're just not the ones Jesus thought of. They're all really important, and I think you could build a very good argument that every single thing that was just said would certainly be part of what it would take to produce a good crop. But isn't it interesting that here we've... We have, we have been studying the Bible all these years together, and you've been studying, and, and none of us got right. I mean, at least got right just the plain, simple words of Jesus, whom we say we're following. It's fascinating. You know what he said it was? He said that the soil that produces a good crop stands for the person with a good and noble heart. A good and noble heart. So according to Jesus Christ, if you have a good and noble heart, your soil that the seed of God will penetrate and produce not just a small crop, but a great crop. What would a good and noble heart be? Because at Westmont College, whether you're a faculty member, the president, whether you're a student, of, uh, uh, let's see, oops, first year student, second year student, I'm still working on it, I'm working on it. Whether you're the chaplain, Jesus says, if you're cultivating a good and a noble heart, or another translation could be a good and a pure heart, then you will produce a great crop. What would a good and a pure heart look like? What would a good and a noble heart look like? Well, I want to look at one part of that it might not look like. I read a scripture this morning from David. David is called a man after God's own heart. I think he's the only one, at least I know of, in the scriptures of whom that statement is made. Let me read you something about a man after God's own heart. The great King David. By the way, it's interesting as you read through First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, because all the kings after him are judged whether they followed the Lord well by whether they did what David did. And they say, this king was good... Because he did what his father David had done. He loved God with all of his heart. It always talks about his heart. It's amazing how many statements. Even the the passage I read this morning about Samuel. God looks on the outside, the father said to Samuel. People look at... I mean, God looks on the inside. People are always looking at the outside appearance. So David was a man with a good and a noble heart. Let me read something that describes him and his heart. In the spring of the following year, at the time when wars began, David sent Joab and the Israeli army out to destroy the Ammonites. They began by laying siege to the city of Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. One night he couldn't get to sleep. He went for a stroll on the roof of the palace, and he looked out over the city, and there he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking an evening bath. 
He sent to find out who she was, and he was told that she was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah. Then David sent for her, and when she came, he slept with her. She returned home, and when she found that that he had gotten her pregnant, she sent a message to inform him. So David dispatched a memo to Joab, his general, and said, Send me Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, the Hittite. And when he arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was prospering. And then he told him to go home, relax. And he sent a present to him at his home. But Uriah didn't go there. He stayed that night at the gateway of the palace with the other servants of the king. And when David heard what Uriah had done, he summoned him and he asked him, uh, What's the matter with you? Why, why don't you go home to your wife? I mean, why didn't you go home to your wife last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, The Ark of the Covenant and the armies of God and the general and his officers are camping out in the open fields. And should I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife, I swear that I will never be guilty of acting like that. Oh. Well, stay here tonight, David told him, and tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed around the palace, and David invited him to dinner and got him drunk. But even so, he didn't go home that night, but again slept at the entry to the palace. Finally, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, his general, and gave it to Uriah to deliver. And the letter instructed Joab to put Uriah at the front of the hottest part of the battle and then pull back and leave him there to die. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot closest to the besieged city where he knew that the enemy's best men were fighting, and Uriah was killed, along with several other Israeli soldiers. When Joab sent a report to David of how the battle was going, he told his messenger, If the king is angry and asks, Why did the troops get so close to the city? Didn't they know that they'd be shooting from the walls? Then tell him, your servant Uriah was killed too. Uriah the Hittite is dead. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said to the servant who brought the message. The sword kills one as well as another. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Tell him he's doing well. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Then, when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her, brought her to the palace. She became one of his wives and gave birth to his son. But the Lord was very displeased with what David had done. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man who throughout the scriptures, we're told, has a good and a noble heart. What went wrong? Part two. David sends, I mean, excuse me, God sends someone to David. His name was Nathan. So the Lord said to the prophet Nathan, tell David this story. King's sitting there. Nathan comes in. 
It's one of his most trusted prophets and counselors. And this is what he says. King, there were two men in a certain city, one very rich, owning many flocks and sheep and herds of goats, and the other, very, very poor, owning nothing but this tiny little lamb he'd managed to buy. It was his children's pet, and he fed it from his own plate, and he let it drink from his own cup, and he cuddled it in his arms like, like a baby daughter. Now, recently, a guest arrived at the home of the rich men. But instead of killing a lamb from his own flocks for food, the traveler took the poor man's lamb and roasted it and served it. King David was furious. I swear by the living God, he vowed, if any man who would do a thing like that, if I come to know of him, he shall be put to death. He shall repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole, for having no pity. Then Nathan spun around pointed and said, Thou art the man. The Lord God of Israel says, I made you a king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you his palace. I gave you his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the laws of God and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. Therefore, murder shall be a constant threat in your family from this time on, because you've insulted me by taking Uriah's wife. David's response was this. I have sinned against the Lord. What is a good and noble heart? And what is it not? Well, one thing that it is not, necessarily, is a heart attached to a life that is flawless and perfect. Did David have a good noble heart or did he just all of a sudden not have one for one night? No, he had a passionate heart. He had a good heart and he got placed on the wrong object and he let it go and he did wrong and then he did wrong to cover his wrong, which is always what we do unless we confess soon. But he had a good and noble heart that had gone astray. And he changed. And he repented. And he lost that child, by the way. And he wrote this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin, it's always in front of me. Against you, O God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with the hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot them out. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll, I'll teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Oh, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in religious sacrifices or I would bring them. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh, God, these you will not despise. What is a good and noble heart? It is a heart that is centered on God the Father through Jesus Christ. It is a heart that sometimes fails miserably, but when it fails, it faces up to it. It says, I have sinned. I have not just broken a rule. That's not what sin is, by the way. I have broken a heart. God's heart against thee and thee only have I sinned. God is looking for people with good and noble hearts, but He is not looking for already perfected people. He is not looking for people who will never fail again, though He would love that. But He's stuck with us. But He's looking for people who will get up out of the mire every time. Come back to Him. Not with whining, not with excuses, not with rationalizations. Not with fear either in the sense of, 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 uh, of a sort of shaking fear before a God who probably won't want us back. No. He wants people who will always head back toward him. David was a man with a good and noble heart. Let's pray. Father, we want to be soil that produces a great crop. Some of us sit in these chairs as David with sin and specific sins corroding our hearts. Help us simply to confess them to you in simplicity. And to simply say what is true. I have sinned against thee. And then cleanse us, Father. Create in us a new heart. A deep heart. A good heart. A noble heart.